Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We've been in this Thanks. Wake Up Oh Sleeper series. This will be for the sixth week. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But more importantly, I hope it's challenged you as much as it's challenged me. Uh, I've talked about some things that, well, quite honestly, much of the world and even the church isn't comfortable talking about. But this is the thing about lordship. We don't get to determine what we're comfortable with. We just get to be obedient to what we're told. Amen? And so there's been a couple of purposes, well, really one primary purpose to, to this series is to wake the church up. I'm responsible for this church. But the big C church needs to wake up. We have fallen asleep. I've said this at the beginning of every one of these sermons. We've fallen asleep in the hull of the ship while the world around us is upside down. And we've determined to abdicate our responsibility to the truth and remain silent and then fuss amongst ourselves about what the world looks like fact of the matter is the world looks like the world looks because the church looks like the church looks the sin that's in the world is only in the world because the light which is supposed to ex expose that darkness has determined to place itself under a basket and be hidden and it's time to stop i see i feel like i've been very pointed over the last six weeks or five and will be this week because the church has to do better we have to do better. We have a world that is, will tell you, will fight you, physically fight you for the right to kill an unborn child, for gender dysmorphia. That is, to be able to say that a man is a boy, a boy is a man, that a man that wants to be a boy still has attraction to a female. Is a, it's just... It's, it's immeasurable the number of perversities that come once you move the borders of Scripture. And we've allowed them to move. There was a time when the church had a voice in the world. Do you know Cumberland <coughs> University was founded as a Presbyterian church in the, or as a Presbyterian seminary in the 1800s. And just two weeks ago, they had a debate about whether or not they should send a letter to Congress as the student body asking Congress to make Roe versus Wade actual law. This is a, a university that was founded as a seminary or sending letters to Congress asking that they make it legal to kill your baby at whatever age you want to kill your baby. That happens because the church is silent. Amen? And it's sickening. To be quite honest with you, it should make us sick to our stomach. Because if we say the church, then that doesn't mean the corporate church only. It means the individual church. Where evil exists, we have to expose it. We're commanded to expose it. We are salt and light. Salt for the purpose 
or excuse me, light for the purpose of exposing darkness and salt for the purpose of stopping the spread of rot. There was a time in the scripture time, salt was used primarily as a way to ensure that meat didn't get rotten, that rot didn't grow. And so as we speak, rot stops growing. As we are the light in the world, the darkness is exposed and has to flee from it. There is no space on earth where light and darkness can exist in the same space. Light always chases. Amen? And it's time for the church to be that. So that's the whole reason why we talked about this is because I wanted to equip you to have these conversations individually and corporately outside the church. It's been offensive to the people who don't want to hear it, but who cares? We've got one life to live. And if we don't burn it completely up for the one person who gave his life up for us, what good are we? All right. I'm about to get ranty. I don't want to be ranty. I don't know. I might get ranty later. I want to talk to you guys today. I'm going to finish this series today, but I'm going to leave the series open-ended. And what I mean by that every now and then is something presents itself in society. We're going to revisit this, and I'm going to preach a sermon discussing those cultural issues the church should be aware of. And so you're likely to see this graphic three months from now, two months from now, a year from now for a couple of more sermons. There's still a couple I'd like to get to that I just don't feel released to do right yet, but just know that you'll see this again. Today, I'm going to finish what we're talking about today or this the last six weeks with hell. Hell is eternal but not necessary. And I'm going to have a very pointed conversation with you about hell. Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, that's capital H, that's God, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death in Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown, listen to this, were thrown into a lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name... This is, there's, this is a profound truth. I've already proven to you Scripture is true, so I can make intelligent argument now from, from Scripture. And it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's no gray area there. There's two kind of people in the world. Those that have accepted Christ Jesus and those who haven't. There are two kinds of people in death. Those who lived according to the flesh and the word, the word of God promises they will see death and death eternal or those who live according to the Spirit and they will have life and life eternal. There's no other kind of people. You can't grade them by the color of their skin. You can't grade them by social economic class. You can't do any of that. There's two kinds of people. All of us need to hear the truth because God sees us through one of two lenses. 
we belong to him or we don't belong to him. And it's time the church opens up its mouth about this subject. The world will tell you, well, the hell ain't real. There's no way a loving God would insert whatever. There's no way God would send people to hell. Let me just destroy that idea for a second. First off, let me tell you, God's not sending you to hell. You send yourself to hell. God's done everything he can to ensure that you don't go there. Hell is literally a prison locked from the inside. If you don't want to go there, unlock the door and walk out. Walk up to Christ Jesus, kneel down at the foot of the cross, and repent of your sin, and you won't go there. Amen? But the fact of the matter is, there is a judgment coming. There's going to be a time when we're at the throne of God If we don't know Jesus, we're going to be judged as sinners, as unrepentant sinners, forever separated from God. That courtroom will have an indictment against you, but you won't have an attorney. There will be a judge, but there won't be a jury on your behalf. There will be a prosecutor, but no defender. Because you will be guilty already. Because you are guilty already. Amen? I'm going to talk about that and what that means and how that's true in a little while. But let me tell you, you're already going to hell. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> Unless you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're already going to hell. But God doesn't want that for us. But he has to punish sin. Hear me. Or he's a liar. And God is not a liar. I get asked from time to time, not very often, Pastor Jim, why, why, do, why does there have to be death? Why do I have to die? Why does God, and they're being sarcastic, why does God require Jesus to die for me? Well, because he said that's, way it, that's the way it would be. And I know that sounds super uneducated, but he declared, God declared himself out of his own mouth in Genesis. He said, if you sin, you shall surely die. If you do this thing I told you not to do, if you walk in rebellion to my word, you shall surely die. Now, praise God. Everybody say praise God. For grace and mercy. Because in his grace and mercy, he offered a sacrificial system. Because he's just. He has to do what he says. So something had to die. Blood had to be shed for the remission of sin. That's what the word says in Hebrews. It's, if that's true, something had to die. So he instituted the sacrificial system so it wouldn't be us. So we would still have an opportunity. In the New Testament, that sacrifice became Christ Jesus, the only one perfect that ever lived perfectly, that was ever born perfectly, to be our sacrifice for us again so that we wouldn't have to suffer the consequence of who we are. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But the fact of the matter is the world still wants to tell you that a loving God would never send people to hell, and that's not true. A loving God mourns. Though every, I'm certain, every single soul 
that ever enters the gates of hell is mourned by God. I've made the mistake of saying this when my theology was a little bit thinner. But I'll tell you, God sees hell like he sees everything else all the time. God's not somehow displaced himself from his omnipotence or omnipresence so that he can't see the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. He sees people that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for for all of eternity in their suffering. My baby girl, who's not a baby girl anymore, hurts herself, and I grieve. Couldn't imagine what God goes through because he loves us that much. Because of that, it's time for the church to open its mouth. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you, hell is real. I could prove this to you in Scripture and intend to if you'll turn to Luke chapter 16. Jesus is talking about hell, and let me tell you, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Isn't that weird? Might be weird, but maybe he's trying to keep us from something. 1,850 verses in the New Testament record the words of Jesus. It's a number you probably don't need to know. Except that 13% of those words, he's talking about hell or damnation. In Luke chapter 16, we read about the rich man and Lazarus. And that hell is a real place. In verse 19, it says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores. Can I tell you, this isn't a condemnation of people that have money and people that don't have money or a lifting up of people who don't have money. This is a condemnation on the spirit of the person, regardless of what money they have. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. That's Lazarus. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, for those of you that don't know, pre-Jesus' resurrection, it was paradise for the repentant believer, for the person who lived righteously according to the law, waiting for Jesus to come back and get them. Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Not because of their comforts, but because of their attitude in their comfort. And beside of this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. I want to show how this 
proves the existence of, he of hell. First and foremost, I think it should go without saying, is that Jesus went without saying. Jesus didn't try to make an argument for hell. He just talked as though he assumed it's true. He just talked about hell as a matter of fact. He didn't try to convince them hell was real. He didn't try to convince them hell wasn't real. He just said, this is real. This is what happens there. That's significant because all things except God are created. Amen? How are they created? They're created by the imagination of God and the Word, which is Christ Jesus. So the Word was present when all things were created and hell was created. Jesus knows that hell exists, and he just speaks of it as though it is fact. It's time the church start talking about hell as though it's a fact. Don't hem-haw around. Don't say, man, you know, there's, there's bad stuff going to happen to you if you don't get your life right with Jesus. Sometimes a brother needs to hear, man, you're going to end up in hell. Eternally separated and tormented for all of eternity, and it's never going to stop. That would require a bit too much boldness. I don't think it's bold enough. I think it was Jonathan Edwards used to preach a sermon. I may be wrong, but I think it's Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he preached that in open air because that's how they did big crowds back then, just out in a field somewhere. And said by the time he got done preaching that sermon, telling them the, just the simple truth that hell is real, People were so convicted that they were holding on to trees. Men in this field were grabbing a hold of limbs and the trunks of trees for fear that hell was going to open up and swallow them right there. What happened to conviction like that? We've forgotten that Jesus knew hell was real, and we've dismissed it as not being real. That's what happened. We don't think because we live in a society that we don't see people being held responsible for who they are and what they do. God's not going to hold us responsible for who we are and what we do. That's the exact opposite of the truth. Amen? God holds us accountable. Regardless of what the world does, God's not going to say, listen, I know you're a sinner. I know you didn't do some stuff, but I know you grew up in a poor side of town and your parents weren't nice to you and you dealt with some stuff when you were a kid. I understand we all have trauma, but I also understand that I'm overcomer by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I understand. I understand that what I grew up as, I don't have to be right now. That's what I understand. It doesn't matter what I dealt with, what I'm dealing with right now. God made me more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So I don't have to be who I was. Which means that I have to be accountable for what I do. It's time the church understood this and declared this truth to a world that says God would never. First, God would never. You would. But if you don't, he's a just God, which means that he's absolutely true to his word. And he's not going to compromise his justice for your feelings. Hmm. Oh, man, that's hurtful. That's just the first thing out of this text. Secondly, it says that the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment. And that torment ceased, never ceased to exist. It always is. It always was. It always will be. And so the rich man did a thing. 
What did he do? He cried out for mercy. He said, have mercy on me. This is significant. We read our Bible too slow or too fast. This man crying out for mercy in a hell that we know is real says one thing. That, knew, that man knew he was guilty. Sadly, most people aren't going to realize they're guilty until they haven't asked for mercy. Better to ask for mercy on this side of heaven than on that side of hell. You ever hear a, a man that wasn't guilty cry for mercy? No, he cries for justice. A man that's not guilty cries for justice. A man that's guilty cries for mercy. He knew, I deserve to be here, but I'm suffering. Hell's real, y'all. Why do I tell you this, man? If I just wanted to cut it to the bone? Because I got people that don't know Jesus. And you got people that don't know Jesus. And at the end of their life, no matter how much you love them, if they've not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to hell. Well, you don't know my circumstance. I don't. But I know God is just, and he's not going to compromise his word for your feelings. Hmm. But he's provided an avenue for sure. And that avenue through Christ Jesus. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I'm going to tell you, as real as it is, all of us deserve it. 1 Corinthians, I've read this text enough to you that you should, you should have it memorized by now probably. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Paul asks the question to the Corinthian church. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a pretty plain question. He said, the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. There's only two things to inherit. You're going to inherit something. And so if you will not inherit the kingdom of God, what are you inheriting? Hell, and rightfully so. I'm going to tell you how to talk, how to get out of that situation in a minute. So it says this statement, and then he gives a bunch of examples. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Any unrighteousness not covered by the blood of Jesus will not inherit the kingdom of God. We must live in a constant state of repentance. Listen to me. Your altar experience that lasted three minutes when you were seven and you've lived like hell since then, didn't save you. You had an opportunity to go forward and you went forward and you made a declaration. But if there is no proof or fruit in your life by works, then I will promise you according to the word, your faith or what you call faith is dead because it wasn't ever faith in the first place. So as we move forward, I want you to think about this question. Did I have an experience or am I experiencing? Our job is to continual experiencing. I'm not trusting a seven-year-old's confession that never bore any fruit. People ask me, how do you prove you're a Christian? Time, 
There you go. Let me explain. Just a couple of y'all looked at me like I had three heads right then. I prove I'm a Christian through time. As I continue in my walk, I should become more and more holy because God is holy. If time doesn't prove I'm a Christian, if time doesn't cause people to say, you're not the same person you were three years ago, then I probably may not be, or I may not be this person I was. I may not be different than the person I was three years ago. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? But then in Galatians, it says this. It continues this same conversation. Paul, he kind of says a lot of the same stuff in almost every letter he writes. Rightfully so, because he's talking to different people and he needs them to know some stuff. But in verse 19 of chapter 5, he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And things like these. This ain't the whole list. So if you're making a checklist just based on this, you're probably not going to get it right. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. This ain't the last, this ain't the first time I've told you this, and it's not going to be the last time I tell you this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? And we get super excited about these verses. Because we pick out the ones that we know we're not bothered by. I am the least homosexual man I know. So it's easy for me to talk about homosexuals if I wanted to, if I got determined to do so. Because I don't struggle in that sin. You know what I don't struggle with? Thieving. I'm not a thief. I got caught stealing candy from a 7-Eleven when I was seven years old. Cops came, put me in the back of their car, scared me straight. I've never taken anything that belongs that doesn't belong to me after that. So it's easy for me to talk about that. And so we focus on the sins that we're comfortable with talking about. But what about your what about your reviling? What about your idol worship? What about your dissension? What about your gossip? What about these things? Because we all have some, one of, some of those things. Which is why we have to live in a state of constant repentance. Amen? People are all, I would never have an idol in my life. If you're bold enough to say that, you're probably the idol in your life. Because we struggle. God put it, a desire in us to worship something. And we all do. Some of us worship our jobs. Some of us worship our family. Some of us worship money or the pursuit of it. Anything, some of us worship sports, football. Anything that creates a greater yearning and desire you to chase after than God is an idol in your life. I know who has idols in their life just in regard to sports by who shows up on Sunday based on who's playing on Saturday. Y'all, y'all think I ain't paying attention. I pay attention, y'all. For those of y'all watching on TV in a little bit, because you weren't here because the game was good last night, I'm talking to you. My whole point is we deserve the hell that's out there. But Jesus saved us. What did he save us from? What do you think Jesus saved us from? Being better than we were? Saved us from our sin? 
If he completely saved you from your sin, you wouldn't be sinning right now. What did he save you from? He saved you from hell. He saved you from judgment. The beauty of John 3, 16, 17, and 18 is that we were going to hell already. Just by birth and by action, we're going to hell already. John 3, 16 reads like this. I know you guys, I know it already. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Somebody say amen. amen. For God, but listen to this. For God did not send the world, send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him, who just he who just stays neutral in this fight, does not believe, has been judged already. You have been judged already because you are sinful both by birth and by action. You were sinful by birth. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as one man, Adam, sinned, so Adam sinned, and because of that, sin entered into the world, death came into the world through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a lot of words to say. Death came into the world, or sin came into the world, causing death through one man. You are in your DNA, unrighteous. You know how I know that? Because you don't have to teach a baby how to manipulate. You don't have to teach a child how to manipulate you. There's already a sin nature in that. You know, I, I, my baby don't manipulate me. <laughs> says there, laughs at everybody that's actually had one. That kid... If you put it down, it doesn't want to be put down. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It just thinks it should have your attention. And so it cries until it gets your attention. That's manipulation. It's not hungry. It's not hurting. It just wants your attention. That's manipulation. We were born with a sin nature. But also, we live in a sin nature. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not only do we have the DNA of a sinner, except that our DNA has been replaced by the DNA of Christ Jesus because he shed his blood and gave it to us. Amen? But that we have physically sinned too. Anybody in this room, I want to applaud you. Like, I want you to stand. We're going to give it a big, all right. How many of y'all haven't sinned in any kind of way, even just a little bit, over the last three months? I put both my hands in my pocket. That's a real condition, though. It's a real problem. Because the Bible tells us to be holy as he is holy. Now, can we see holiness on this side? I'm not certain that's possible because the Bible says we'll be holy when we're in the presence of that which is holy. But that doesn't mean we don't strive, that we don't pursue, that we don't chase after, that we don't lean into holiness. But the fact of the matter is we deserve hell because we are sinners. Bible says none are righteous. No, not one. None seek after. None, 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 none. You're not on an island by yourself. You're not somehow the only righteous person ever made. All of us are in desperate need of a Savior to save us from the judgment that was upon us since before we were born. 
Amen? All right. And Jesus saved us. Second hmm. Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that, he, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 3.25, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation at atoning sacrifice in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over the sins previously committed. Jesus died to overcome our sin nature because only the blood of Jesus can, can wash it off of us. Amen? Hell's real. But praise God, it's not mandatory. The Bible says all we have to do is believe the word of God is true. Declare out of our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Who are we declaring as Lord? Anybody want to give it a shot? Jesus. Because what does Acts 4.12 say? Acts 4.12 says this, And there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no other name, Jesus. No other name, Jesus. You can't save yourself. No other religion can save you. We say, man, I don't want to say nothing to them because they're Muslim. I don't want to say nothing to them because they're Hindu. I don't want to say nothing to them because they're Mormon. I don't want to say nothing to them because of insert whatever religion that they're having. Let me tell you, you have to say something to them. You know why you have to say something to them? Because this is true. Because I don't care who you declare your faith in. If your faith isn't declared in Jesus Christ with him declaring or you declaring Him as Lord over your life, meaning you don't get to make your own decisions anymore, you're going to live obedience to the Word of God, then it don't matter. Declare away. The enemy doesn't declare. Does it, doesn't care if you declare Allah as God? Because it doesn't change your eternal position. You still belong to Him. Jesus is the only name under heaven. Jesus is the only name under heaven. And I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus is the only name under heaven by which a man can be saved. And he, he came, died on a cross for us to be that substitutionary atonement, to be that penal atonement, to take the wrath of God from us, to shed his blood, because blood had to be shed. For there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Why would he do such a thing? Because he knows hell is real. He's bound to his word. And he loves you too much to let you go there. What do you do with that information? the end of the day, what do you do with that information? I don't know where you are. 
I'm going to do two things here. First, I'm going to deal with this room. I asked this question at first service. I want you to pay attention to the question. I'm not asking if you've ever made a confession of Jesus Christ because all of us in the South think we're saved by making a confession. I'm asking you, have you declared Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? Which means, are you still making decisions that you shouldn't be making? Are you still doing things you know are counter to the Word of God and the commands of Scripture? If the answer to that question is yes, I'm still... I'm going to be perfectly honest. I struggle in lordship in this area. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. If there's anybody in this room, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Can I tell you, I'm already standing. Because there's, there's times when I struggle I struggle with lordship, man. I don't like, my wife will tell you. People say, don't do that. The first thing I'm going to run and do is that. (laughs) And so I struggle. But you know what? The struggle is worth the reward. And so I want to pray for you that God reveal himself to you so powerfully, so mercifully, that you recognize the love that he has for you and you desire to put away things for the sake of the one that loves you.